All right, run it. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. Kick a break. We have an aversion to ourselves and to what's happening inside us. Inside us. I've been very interested in this problem for a long, long time. Something settles. Today's guest's name is Jake O'Brien. He is a seriously resilient man. Um, I came across Jake on social media and we connected and I really felt um, a similarity between uh, what, not necessarily what we'd been through, but how we'd coped. Um, I love how as a outwardly, um, fitness focused man and, you know, good looking bloke and all that stuff. Um, he has still been able to maintain his softer side and his emotional side and his reflective side. And I think that's served him well, as you'll see throughout his story in overcoming the challenges that he'd been through. And for me, I can say personally that the hyper masculine, um, pretend that, we don't feel anything type vibe has never served me as a way of coping. Um, I'm glad that Jake hasn't fallen into that trap like me and many other guys can um, with this pressure to just suck it up and get on with it. Um, but finding a way to get on with it that's truly healing where you don't just avoid the pain but you get down into it and clean out the wound. And Jake has had his fair share of wounds. He uh, had... A bit of a rough upbringing, uh, not feeling completely taken um, care of in his emotional needs as a child for a variety of reasons, no one's fault, until he was kind of getting his life on track in his uh, early 20s when he was um, in a quite a serious motorbike accident and then that derailed a lot of uh, his life. He broke his neck and a whole bunch of other things that left him in rehab for ages. And as someone who myself has also had a motorbike accident, I can relate to just how um, debilitating and impairing a physical injury can be and the subsequent um, impact on your mental health. It's really, really hard. But it didn't end there. Jake actually not long after got diagnosed with throat cancer in his larynx and has since been through a whirlwind journey with that. And you'll notice during the episode that Jake's voice um, is a little bit raspy and that's a result of the treatment that he's had to go through um, to help monitor and manage the cancer of which he is doing really well at at the moment and is healthy and thriving. Um, Jake is quite new to this whole mental health space and he's made a big commitment um, personally to lean more into this stuff Uh, and I gave Jake full permission to be as raw as possible and and tried to keep it conversational as we always do here on this podcast, not just a template of motivation and that everything's fine and so I think you'll really appreciate us um, casually navigating these complexities. Um, I hope you do because it was my honor to, to um, bear witness to it. Uh, there are some slight trigger warnings around um, 
physical trauma, um, emotional neglect, um, and just some intense topics that we go toward when life throws us its biggest curveballs. So as always, go slow and potentially listen or watch the episode with someone um, or wait until you're in a stable headspace um, to, to do so. Uh, but without further ado, I'd like to introduce Jake. As always, go slow, go strong. One day at a time, we're all on the journey. So tell me what was your first, your first memory ever of life, your first childhood memory? Um, ooh, first childhood memory. I think I remember, I have like a very, very, very vague memory of my childhood. Um, I think like oddly more vague than normal people, maybe because of traumas and stuff I went through kind of in my early teens, I think like my brain just kind of like, literally before I was, you know, eight, I don't really remember much, but um, yeah, maybe like this, I had this weird like kind of flashback of mum filming me doing something silly, silly in the, um, in the house we we're living together. But yeah, early, I don't, I don't really remember my childhood, mate, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, that's, it's a bit crazy, crazy. Like it's just all kind of, not, not really something I can regurgitate. That's just as relevant to that question as giving me an actual memory, because I think it sets up beautifully um, sort of what your early days were like, which was somewhat complex and, and complicated. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of people, including myself, can relate to having a bit of a blur. Like I hear people all the time say, sometimes all the way back to three or four years old in quite detail experiences that they had as a kid. And I'm like, fuck, I, I have like one image in my head of mine, which was sitting on a horse feed bin at my, um, my mom was a horse riding instructor and chewing on the horse's ear. Other than that, there's like a skerrick, a frame or two, but it like memory really kicks in in primary school. And I think similar to you, I also dissociated from a lot of that because there was so much pain around that time. Totally. Yeah. And, and so, but you grew up in um, Brisbane? No, I, well, yeah, I was born in Sydney and uh, mum and dad would have split, I think I would have been about two or three. Um, I think it was just, it just didn't work for them. They were very young and um, <clears throat> mum coming from a, kind of Christian or whatever background that she did um, wasn't going to, you know, abort me or whatever. So had me and um, yeah, didn't, didn't work out with that and nicked off with me to Brisbane, Queensland area when I was about three and um, yeah, literally between three to eight, we lived up there. Um, I remember, you know, I remember putting my backpack on my back and going to my first day at Arundel primary school um, and her taking a photo of me. That's what it was. Um, yeah, apart from that, I don't really remember. And um, yeah, we lived we lived up there until she kind of met this bloke somewhere, somehow. I don't I don't know how. Um, and we ended up moving to Sydney at that point. And um, yeah, been in Sydney ever since. And has your biological father been part of your life? So 
not really. He, um, my dad's, my dad, yeah, my dad passed away now, actually. He passed away about two years ago now. Um, and yeah, no, he wasn't really much, he wasn't really part of my life, to be honest. He, I think mum wanted to protect me from that whole side of my family. Um, I never really even knew I had an actual biological, my, my biological grandma was um, fully out there and yeah, I didn't even know she existed until, you know, my early teens um, or mid-teens even. Um, and then like two years later, went to a funeral. But my relationship with my actual dad um, was kind of non-existent while I was in Queensland. We might have talked on the phone. I don't, I don't remember, to be honest. But um, then we started seeing each other once a fortnight um, when I moved down to Sydney. And mm. uh, yeah, kind of rebuilt a relationship from there. But yeah, we're just different people, mate. Dad, um, dad did his back in um, working for the railway, picking something silly heavy up. Um, and he slipped his disc, and from there he he he, he never worked again. He got a he got a combo payout, and um, yeah, didn't didn't ever work again. And by the time I kind of knew him, he was you know quite overweight, and he smoked a lot, and it was pretty much like as I got to those early teen years was kind of discovering myself and, you know, choosing my male role models. Um, yeah. He wasn't one of them. Um, mm. Most for the, for the most part, um, which is, you know, pretty shitty, but there were certain aspects of my, my father that were amazing. He was, he was very, he was very uh, Christian himself, always went to church and he wanted to be a preacher in the end. And, that didn't really work out for him but so he'd like I don't know practice preaching on me and you know I'm I'm not Christian myself it wasn't pushed on me and um spiritual or whatever you want to call it but not I don't believe in Jesus Christ and all, all that um story so yeah I um yeah saw him every fortnight for quite a while and then yeah as it just got a bit weirder and weirder we kind of it became once a fortnight to once a month the yeah, not really happening much. Um, but my dad taught me a lot about, he was very loving. He was, he, he meant well, he had a good heart, but um, yeah, just the life that he had created wasn't something that I aspired to at all, you know? Mm. Sounds like he probably had a fair bit of his own stuff unresolved going on in the background. And uh, like many of us, we get parented by parents who maybe haven't grown up yet themselves fully. Uh, <laughs> does that resonate? Yeah. Mate, it's so hardly. Um, yeah, lis listening to some of the stuff that you, you talk about with like gener generational trauma and um, that not being addressed and not being like your parents kind of just passing down whatever it is they went through to you. Um, I know that my dad had a horrible upbringing um, and that's why my mom never told me about my grandma. And then I know that my dad told me that my grandma had a horrible upbringing herself. And yeah, so that whole side was just trauma, trauma, trauma. And yeah, um, yeah I think I've, I've, I've just grown up being born into, you know, that it's, it's, it, it has been part of me and it's something that I need to work to break the chain of and something that I, I'm really quite passionate about, to be honest, is, um, yeah, break, breaking that chain for when I one day have children. Um, 
I don't want to, I don't want to have my stuff unresolved and pass it on to them. Um, you know, I've got, I've got certainly mental health issues that they have been reignited through recent, um, recent dramas and whatever, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to keep that, keep that flow of energy going on to the next generation and yeah. really, really important for me. So a lot, a lot of what I've listened to from what you've said has resonated hard um, on your previous podcast about that type of thing. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We do have to, we do have to consciously break the cycle of, of suffering um, often in our own family systems, which can be a mammoth task. Um, I, I want to get back to a bit more about your family. So um, your mum met your stepfather and was that a good experience for you? For, for a while, it was amazing. Um, so I was about eight at the time and hadn't really had, you know, a male figure in my life. Um, I suppose I was a bit soft, really. Um, you know, like a bit of a mama's boy. And then this guy came into our life and he kind of became my father figure. And uh, yeah, he taught me how to go fishing and got me into playing sports and was a real bloke's bloke, you know, drank, drank VB and was a tradie and it was awesome. He, um, yeah, he was a really important part of my life between like eight to 14 when, when shit hit the fan and we can go into what happened there. But for a while it was, um, it was really good to have him. Yeah. To, to have him as kind of my, my, my dad, essentially, he, um, Mm. yeah it was a really important person for for quite a long time in some really yeah what's another word for important Form, those, those formative years, years formative years that's the one um so you were really looking for <clears throat> some direction i'm sure as as someone who you know your your dad wasn't around your mum was doing her best um to raise you and then mm. your stepdad came into the picture and Again, I can relate to that because uh, my parents got divorced when I was two and my dad had to move internationally for the early years of my life. And um, thankfully, I'm very grateful for the fact that I have a, an amazing relationship with my biological father to this day. Uh, but my stepdad came into the picture and because I spent the large majority of time at mum's with custody, that, means, that meant I spent a large majority of time with my stepdad who also joined me about eight years old and those people really shape who you are, right? Cause this is where you're starting to learn about the world and you're starting to get into your adolescent years and step parents are, are hugely influential to your personal development. And I don't think we talk about the impact of step parents on your, on people's lives enough. Yeah. It's funny. You have to kind of slowly allow them in. Mm and open up to them and yeah because you don't know them through baby years and then all of a sudden they're kind of your dad and it's yeah it's 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 a bit it's a bit weird like I think if you're older if you're like 15 and above and a stepdad came into your life it's kind of like it's a bit too late like you've already kind of you know you're not my dad you're just my my mum's partner Hmm. um but yeah at, at eight it's different yeah yeah, it is. So how, how would people describe you like in high school? What, what would be like two things that people would describe you as? Uh, yeah, high school was a bit of a 
funny time for me. Um, through the, I was, I was really intellectual through primary school. I excelled at pretty much everything. I was a very smart kid. Um, uh, I was good at music and maths and like all, all parts of my brain were firing. And then um, high school kind of came. Basically what happened was mum and this bloke separated right as I was transitioning into high school. And it was, um, yeah, it was really messy. There was, he, he basically, um, I didn't know at the time, but I kind of knew, but I didn't, but I did, that he mm. was getting, that he was getting into heavy drugs. And um, yeah, yeah I, I know that there was like a big lump sum of money that he inherited and yeah, he kind of just disappeared and reappeared and disappeared and reappeared and just slowly got crazier. And there was um, lots of yelling and stuff in the household. And um, yeah, it was very confusing. Um, mm. And so, yeah, school, I just kind of, you know, I went to and I came home and home was really confusing. And then I went to school and as the years went by, I just kind of slowly worked out what happened. And um, yeah, I think I had to kind of step away from being, you know, as anyone's son, like even like mum, mum was doing her best, but you know, she was, um, by this point we'd, we, we moved, we had to get away because this guy became abusive and it was getting violent. And, um, so we had to move into our own place and sing, single mum trying to raise a kid, she'd had to pick up more work and she, she couldn't really cook for crap to be honest. So um, <laughs> yeah, just had to kind of learn how to fend for myself from kind of 15 onwards. And that was, that, that was fine. Um, but it did turn my high school years into a little bit of a mess. You know, I just wanted to um, fit in as best I could because, you know, now, now, now that I've got a little bit more education behind mental health um, and why we are the way we are, maybe, and like the mask that we use and all that, um, I think I just really wanted to, yeah, to feel loved. And so I just kind of um, acted up a bit and tried to stick out and tried to get probably more attention than I needed when I should have just, you know, done my homework and yeah, you're focus, yearning. focus more. Yeah. I was yearning for love, man. So, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, I was actually also quite overweight. Um, by the time I got to high school, my, that, that stepdad that I had, he, um, he was a, he was a, you know, hardworking guy and he was on his feet all day and blah, blah, blah. And so he could eat quite a lot. And, um, and he liked, and he enjoyed cooking himself. So he would always cook like quite big meals throughout my um, early years. And yeah, so by, by the time I got to high school, I was pretty overweight and didn't, yeah, I was, I was a bit, I was a bit lost. And yeah, so I just um, acted out and didn't really go to school that much and just tried to do, go surf in heaps and lose the weight and cruise through life. And yeah. It was, do you remember, um, do you remember a moment in, your teenage, like you said, you felt really confused and I can definitely see why, uh, having so many moving parts and then the person that you thought is your father figure starts to completely derail at, a, at an extreme extent. And yet again, you're seeing the person that you love, your mother in pain and, um, not being able to offer a safe environment do you have a memory from that time where you felt like the most confused and the most lost? Um, yeah. When he would 
kind of show up at the place. And because at that at this stage, you know, it had it had gone from a beautiful, amazing family environment home I had through eight to thirteen to we lived in a shitty little apartment and and then he would come over and mum would let him stay the night and you know, then then mum would be crying all the next day and I'd just be like, Why the fuck is he here? Like what what what's the go? And it's like she wouldn't really explain much but yeah I realized he was he was he was homeless and uh yeah she just wanted him to have a roof over his head for the night and I think it was yeah just her way of caring for him um the best way that she could um what what was it this is good yeah man yeah just seeing seeing him like at one point through my you know he he strangled me at one point like that Homer Simpson bar kind of moment like once or twice and um, yeah, I was a tiny little 13 year old and he was a huge bloke. So I was shit scared of him. And yet he was at my place and I was like, I want to kill this guy. Like I had so much hatred and I'd see my mom like crying her eyes out and losing the plot. So, and then, and then invite him to the house. And I'm like, mate, I just like, like, you know, it was really, yeah, that, that, that was, that's confusing shit, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. I can only imagine. And, you know, you, you, you kind of touched on this anger and, I'm going to ask a hard question and so feel free to like take your time with it. But um, what was your thoughts towards your mum during that time? Because was it kind of like, I heard you say, why are you inviting this person around? Almost like a resentment. Like why, why are you putting us in danger as much as it was a confusion? Mm. Can, you, can you unpack a little bit about where your headspace was toward your mum at that time? Uh. Once, once again, memory suppressed, you know, like such a gnarly time of my life. I just don't really yeah. know the answer to that question off the top of my head. If I sit there and think on it, for, if I meditated on it for an hour or so, I might be able to come up with something. But yeah, I think um, I think I held a lot of, yeah, you said resentment towards mum in ways. Um, you know, I didn't, I probably didn't, as a young teenager, respect my mum as much as I do now. Um, how hard she had worked and she was working, you know, six days a week. She, she still does. Um, she was just doing her best eh? She's just doing her absolute best. And, and I didn't re- really respect that probably as much as I should have. And um, yeah, I probably held a lot of anger towards my mum as well. I, I did. Um, I did hold a lot of anger towards my mum and, and this guy together. So I, I, uh, I didn't really like being at home and I ran off a bunch of times and, yeah, made, made threats of like never coming back, but like always would after a couple of days. And mm. yeah, I, I spent like most days, I'd kind of, you know, ride my pushy to school and stop by my, my mate's place, which was on the way home. Um, and I'd spend most of my time kind of at his house, essentially. Um, so I could kind of avoid being home. Mm. Mm. So after high school, we end up um, in a new period of our life, uh, having to figure out all this big wide world on our own. And um, if I'm putting the timeline together correctly, by this point, uh, your mom had separated from your stepdad. And did you move? uh, Did you stay at home at that time? And what were you doing for work after school? Yeah, so yeah, so that 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 was like I said, when I was 14, um, by the time I got to 18 finishing school time 
um, yeah, I, I was still at school when the HSC was going down, but I just was like, I hadn't read the English book and I hadn't done pretty much anything. And I didn't really like <clears throat> any aspect of school um, apart from cooking, which I was really enthusiastic at and excelled at, to be honest. I was a bit of a, you know, I was a class clown in everything, but in cooking, I was the teacher's pet. And I, I don't know, I was just naturally good at cooking. I don't know what about it was. Um, so I ended up kind of, I was sitting in the exam for English and I just ended up reading through the questions going, you know, fuck this and turn the pages, <laughs> drew a big pretty picture and yeah, I dropped out of everything except for cooking, um, finished my cooking at school and then just went to TAFE and got my cert three in cooking. And then from there, I just kind of, yeah, left home and started traveling and working in different kitchens kind of around the East coast of Australia. I did um, like Threadbow and went up to Byron and lived in my van for a year or two. And yeah, um, by the time I was like 22, I was a fully qualified chef and that was kind of my jam. Um, and those were good days, um, but I was, yeah, definitely abusing substances and partying and um, yeah, once again, just trying to kind of fit in and feel loved. And those were awesome days. I was, I was just a bit of a free spirited, happy guy, kind of just letting go of everything. Um, letting your hair down. Letting my hair down. I literally grew my hair down past my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, it was pro- probably this color on the tip, but not tied. It was just I'd surf a lot. And yeah, it was, um, it was good, good times. I had, um, had, a, had a great early 20s. Um, but I, unfortunately, I had uh, problems with, with my knees as well. So being kind of still a little bit kind of not in great shape and cooking is a hard, chefing is a hard career demand. On the body, yeah long hours on your feet and um, a lot of heat and um, if it, uh, yeah, it's called osteochondritis desiccans. Basically the tip of my femur just kind of crumbled apart and um, I'd had this like big, it was this moment I remember squatting down to clean out this cupboard with a, clean out this fridge with a toothbrush. And I was like, this is getting too sore. Like I can't even squat down anymore. And like, then stand back up and it was just like a big balloon of a knee. So yeah, I had to come back to Sydney. By that stage, things would kind of stabilise with my mum. And um, yeah, I had to get an operation and yeah, kind of change careers because my knees blew out. And so, you know, looking back, absolute blessing because fast forward, it kind of, I got a couple of sales jobs here and there, sitting down. And then a mate of mine was working out at gym and he got me a sales job at a gym. And um, yeah nailed that and then became PT and had a heap of fun with that. And then, you know, where the story kind of goes from there. So at this stage we've had, you know, a fairly traumatic upbringing, but popping out of school, you're like, I'm leaving that behind. And um, you got the job, you did the chef thing. And then there was another bump in the road, but you overcame that, got the surgery, pivoted careers, and you've landed yourself in the gym environment where you're a personal trainer, it sounds like everything's coming together. And then the accident happened. Yeah. So can you talk me through about that? Mate, that fucking accident just ruined everything. I, um, yeah, it, um, 
So I'd been personally training for two or three years. I was, it was really, I worked for Fitness First, which is um, an awesome facility, but the one I worked at particularly was, um, you know, it's a big company and that, that designed to make money. So, and they make a lot of money off the rent that we pay as personal trainers. Um, and they had a lot of personal trainers in the one facility um, paying a lot of rent. Um, so it was really, really hard to get by, but uh, after about two or three years, yeah, I was, I was killing it because I kind of, kind of came from a rehab perspective and I was into all like functional movement and uh, making sure people kind of understood how your body works properly. And rather than like being like a transformation coach kind of thing, that wasn't really my jam. Um, so yeah, I, I did really well. I had a lot of older clients and I was super outgoing and yeah, really excelled with that and, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, on my way home from work one day, a car cut me off. Um, I used to, I, I was riding a motorbike. Um, I was in the bus lane. I was doing absolutely nothing wrong. Um, I was going to speed limit, which was 60 down Pitwater Road. And, uh, yeah, this car just, um, it, it was approaching after school time. So the traffic was starting to build up. It wasn't yet school time. So, you know, the speed limit wasn't 40, but the traffic in the middle two lanes was moving quite slowly. And this person had obviously just kind of gotten the shits with, you know, sitting in this slow traffic and gone to turn left to go to the back streets or whatever. Um, didn't indicate, didn't do anything. And I've just straight up smashed into a passenger door at 60 Ks. And it was, it was like, I'd like, I saw it turning and I had like all of two seconds to kind of realize what was happening. And I just thought, Oh, she's turning. Oh, I'm going to hit her. Like if I, if I swerved to the left, I would have hit a house. If I swerved to the right, I would have hit another part of the car. It was, it was a big um, full drive. So um, yeah, that, 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 that happened. Um, my brain doesn't remember physically hitting the car. It remembers the two seconds leading up to it. And mm -hmm everything after pretty much. Um, but yeah, I just, I just hit this car at like 60 odd Ks, like I said, and went flying through the air and woke, woke up, woke up like 10, 10 minutes later. I think they said I was knocked out for um, just on the ground, like, you know, yeah, 10, 20 meters away from where the collision was. And just by that stage, a huge crowd of people around me probably all thought I was dead. And mm. um I kind of woke up, came to, and like, boom, adrenaline hit me. And I was like, fuck, where am I? What am I doing? I'm on the ground, got to stand up. And like, like all these people pin me down, like, mate, do not move. Like, mm. um, and uh, yeah, ambulance arrived and chucked me in the back of the ambulance van. And um, like I was saying before, I guys used my phone for, you know, pretty actively for social media, my, my Instagram for um, marketing my personal training. Like, I'd always, just been really active on it so and i felt fine like and they probably drugged me up a bit so just kind of took 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 a selfie in the back of the ambo like oh this is what i'm doing like i just got hit by a car don't worry i'm sweet um and uh yeah it turns out it wasn't so sweet by the time i kind of got back to the hospital and um so what was the diagnosis yeah. when you arrived there uh so the diagnosis kind of slowly happened over the course of a few days I guess um I don't know a few days of the first day uh, basically mm -hmm. um they just throw you into getting scans like and you just get x-rayed over your entire body do they do a full body MRI or something and then um 
yeah, X-ray more specifically, what's obviously the most injured, um, smashed my right foot, broke, broke my ribs on my right side, um, had a glenary humerax or a, 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 a burst lung, my, my lung had completely deflated on the right. Um, I broke four bones in my spine, <clears throat> but the, the, the worst of which was a, an odontoid peg fracture or a hangman fracture, um, which, yeah, is essentially, you know, you're meant to kind of die if you get a hangman fracture. If you survive a hangman fracture, you're a very lucky person. So, wow. Um, and yeah, and yeah. Where, where's that part of the, is that in the neck, mate? That's your C2, yeah. So your C2, um, you, you got your head, then your C1 is kind of like a little ring. And that little ring kind of swivels around this peg, which is your odontoid peg, which is kind of part of C2. C2 grows up into this stem and then C1 swivels around it. Um, and then the rest of the bones from there down are kind of meant to flex forward and back and rotate just a little bit. But that uh, swivel is so that you can turn your head properly um, as opposed to just flexing and extending with your spine. Like most of your spine turns a little bit, but the neck is meant to be able to, you know, quickly look to the right or left and sure um yeah so i broke i broke that bone um and three that, others lower in the back yeah lower in the spine i think it's a it's two, two in my t-spine and one in my l-spine i think i think it, they were um they were hairline fractures they broke all the way through but they didn't separate nothing separated every everything cracked all the way through so they were essentially all fractures um wow no, nothing too bad but the um like the spine ones i didn't I didn't really notice the spine. I felt more, more so in kind of the back of my right rhomboid was just like fucking throbbing pain for like weeks on end. Like every time I breathed in, it was just. Because yeah. the lung and the ribs, right? Yeah, the lung and the ribs. I don't know. It's all it's all kind of a bit blurry, but. Um, Your yeah, body, that, it was just uh, mashed up. <laughs> yeah, bro. I got, I got mashed hard. I um, I was I was super lucky to survive the, the crash. And I, I, put, I put it. I put it down to, you know, being so into my health at that point and being strong and flexible and kind of wrapping myself around the car and having enough, you know, strong tissue and ligaments to, to protect everything. And um, not yeah, just to survive, but to be able to walk. Cause like, as you say, neck, neck injuries um, can be more dangerous than back injuries, right? Like you could have lost your arms and your legs ability to feel. Essentially, when you get a, it's called a hangman. The, the nickname is a hangman fracture because, you know, if you were to be hung, then that is the bone that breaks. And, right. Um, you know, and then it pushes into your brainstem and you, maybe I should have done a trigger warning there, sorry. Um, but essentially, that's, that's, the, that's the fracture. It pushes into your brainstem and you get paralyzed for a brief moment before dying. Um, you know, so that happened but it and it broke all the way through and it broke in a really funny angle that um this gets later into the story that they, they weren't really able to res rescue the fracture essentially um even though it was just a fracture um it um yeah it caused some future complications down the road six months later so we can talk about that if you if you yeah. want yeah so let's let's plot this on the timeline what year and month is this uh Crikey, it would have been, I think, May 2018, I guess, or was it 19? 18, 19, May 2019. It was wow. a year and a half. It was a year, a year and a half ago. So what's it now? It would have been 2019. That's not long, man. I I I had this like 
years ago in my head, but th- th- that's because yeah. just for listeners that might be joining us from the future, we're at the 25th of January, 2021 today. Um, and, and so what age were you back then when the bike accident happened? 27. Okay. So that makes you about 28, 29 at the moment. 28 at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be tw- 29 come June. Okay. So I spent my 20, 27th birthday wearing this big neck brace. They, they, they basically let me out of hospital. Um, my foot was like, it took, it took like, because the foot was so swollen and crushed, it took them, you know, they're like, dude, we have to let the swelling go down before we can operate. Otherwise it's like, you know, if you put a sausage on the barbecue and you don't prick the holes in it, it gets all (laughs) swollen. Yeah. So they're like, if we, if we insert a knife into that, it's going to ruin all the tissue and it, pop basically so i had to sit there with my foot completely crushed for like a few days before they were like okay it's we can operate now um my lord they managed to save all my toes and everything and then um uh yeah i had this cord coming in here to help drain all the crap out of my bleeding lung and um the whole time i was in this neck brace and then they're like oh because it's so severe we're going to put you in this it's called a miami collar um, and a Miami collar is yeah just designed to keep you nice and still. It kind of straps to your to your chest as well as your neck, and it just stops you moving your head at all. Um, at all, yeah. Not as much as a halo brace. A halo brace is the one that physically it's like a ring around the top right, of your head, right. p- pins into your head. People might have seen those. Um, in the long run, I probably wish I got a halo brace because yeah, I wore this Miami brace for about six months. I think they had they had me in it, and uh, I went back to go finally get it taken out like with all my hopes super high I'd done you know everything I could to try and you know yeah recover as fast as possible with my you know whatever I was doing at the time and went to go get, get it taken off I was super excited like once again taking a selfie like oh I'm away to get my brace off and they kind of went oh no sorry it, um they, they they did an x-ray before they um wanted to take it off and they said that the uh joints from c1 c2 together aren't they're not working properly anymore they're not um stable the ligaments have kind of shut themselves off and or whatever i don't know it they 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 wouldn't let me take the brace off they said he's the surgeon at the time was like no you need a spinal fusion and um that's that so do you want to do that next week or and i'm like what what What? i've just been wearing this brace for the last six months of my life like having the worst time like sleeping in it and everything um and now you're telling me that this whole time was literally wasted, essentially. Um, yeah, it was super frustrating. So, and I, I didn't want to believe it to be true. And I had a friend of mine who had had a spinal fusion. Um, I don't know if it's C1, C2 himself, um, but yeah, he'd, he'd kind of been, once I kind of, you know, told the world that I needed a spinal fusion, he, um, he reached out and he was like, no, 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 don't do it. I got it three years ago and here's big long list of the problems it scores me and um yeah so I, I already was scared and then I had him making it more scary and then so I just really didn't want to do it so I went kind of seeked a few different doctors opinions and tried to really put my case together as to you know and, and researched other operations that might be possible and um yeah ended up like hitting a brick wall with that with all of them and they all said yeah probably a spinal fusion is is best there's, there's another surgery you can do where you kind of drill back and kind of pin the odontoid peg back down with a um with a screw but because mine was cracked at like quite a 
funky angle, the um, yeah, it just wasn't a wasn't a safe option for me. So, um, did you go through with that spinal fusion surgery? I I did, yeah. I um, I didn't go with the initial doctor. He was quite blunt and rude, and I didn't really like the vibe, and I didn't go with him. I went and saw another guy who essentially said, oh, let's just leave it for another six months and see how it goes. I'm like, man, I'm not wearing this brace for another six months. Like I've got a life to lead, you know, like, Mm. um, so he was kind of, first one was too rough. First one was too soft. And then this third guy was, um, he kind of oozed quite a bit of confidence about doing the operation. He said he'd done it a thousand times. He looked at his wall and it's like head of spinal neck fusions Australia for, you know, the last 40 years. And so you're like, count me in. (laughs) I was like, you're the one. um, (laughs) Yeah, so um, so he fused my neck. So now I can't rotate my. If I strictly stand still, I can't turn my head any further than that, which is like, yeah, crap. Yeah, only only a little bit. Yeah. So, mate, uh, I, uh, there's lots of questions I want to ask, and and I'm um, not unfortunately, but for for listeners at home, um, obviously, if you've got this far, many of you are relating to Jake and sending him massive love, but there is unfortunately one more hurdle that is yet to come in his story that we'll get to in a second. But just before we go to that, that final hurdle, um, can you talk to me a little bit about opening, not opening your eyes because your eyes are already open after the accident, but kind of the moment that everything stopped, the nurses, you know, left the rush, died down a little bit from the stabilization, the frantic stabilization that happens when you go to the emergency ward and you got the tube in your lung, you got your foot that's just mashed up, you, your spine is broken and you're lying in a, ho- a hospital bed. What, like, what's on your mind in that moment? I have since the accident happened had because I was not at fault, I have had um, professional help paid for and whatnot by, by the insurance and had, had a psychologist on my side to help me, yeah, understand and process all of this a little bit better. I probably don't see them as much as I should, but um, I think I have never really been very good at expressing and feeling many emotions of the emotional spectrum. I think... Um, going back to, you know, everything that happened in my childhood. Um, I kind of, I wrote this down in my diary once after I'd meditated. I get numb really easily. Um, I kind of don't feel sad. I don't feel, um, I don't grieve. Um, I just kind of, yeah, it was just happening and I was just going through the motions of it, you know, kind of putting on that brave face. Um, Only later did I kind of yeah it wasn't at the time mate it was at the time I didn't I didn't really care obviously I was in a lot of pain like physical pain um but I don't think I was really feeling much at all to be honest I was just copping it you know yeah Yeah. just yeah trying to almost avoid feeling and processing and that's intelligent our brain's smart like that it's trying to prevent us from going into that that area of of emotional turmoil um just a side note um for what it's worth uh between kind of us the 
Um, so I have a clinical master's degree in psychology and some of the things yeah. that you were mentioning um, in your earlier years around the trauma, the potentially sense of abandonment from um, your biological father. And then you use the word confusion um, and during those years with high confusion and fear and a lack of nurturance needs, we can develop what's called a disorganized attachment style. I'm not sure if you've heard that word, but um, essentially it is one of the biggest uh, indicators, precipitators to mental ill health conditions. I myself had suffered from disorganized attachment. Um, one of its main um, results or symptoms down the line is dissociative coping, um, which you've just described there is numbing out. So I'm just putting some links together and I'm seeing a pattern and um, yeah. it, it, uh, what has been tremendously life-changingly healing for me is working on my disorganized attachment and going back through and looking at the nurturance needs that never got met and essentially being able to reorientate and reassociate myself to my feelings in my body, um, frees a whole lot of trauma and essentially gives you your, um, your humanity back uh, and you learn how to make sense of things in a really safe way. So that's just a quick side note and we can take that offline. Um, so, so the initial impact of the hospital experience, uh, was physically painful mentally. You're in survival mode. Like, Oh, I don't know what's just happened. I'm going to push that to the side. Um, the fusion, there's even more complications at this point. I'm sure you're just feeling exhausted and somewhat angry, frustrated and angry. Yeah. Frustration and anger. I think what mm. I, what I kind of came to realize is that I numbed my emotional spectrum and, but it has to come out somehow. And yeah, for, for me, it's always come out is getting frustrated quickly, like having a short fuse and, and getting angry, sure. um, which I'm sure heaps of people could relate to. Like if you had yeah. a psychologist gave a good example of those, you know, your best, your best mate passed away and you had at his funeral, you know, and you go and you just punch a wall real hard, like that's anger. And that's how that guy is expressing his grief, you know, which, you know, it's not, it's not angry. He's, he's grieving, but he's sad. Yeah. He's expressed it as, as anger. And um, yeah, that's kind of how I felt doctors would come in and say, Oh, you know, it's, you know, with the foot, it was like, originally I thought it was getting the surgery and I'd be able to walk again in like, you know, be, be, be in a moon boot at least within a month or two. And that kind of like, nah, you need like to be off that foot for like eight months, at least completely like in crutches. I was like, you know, how angry does that make you? Like, um, Mm. I, I did. I did. I did hear from Jules that you had you had your own motorcycle accident at some stage, and you yeah, I did damaged your hand and your foot. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you can obviously relate to the, I guess, emasculating feelings that it gave me. Hundred um, percent. You know, going from having a killer, killing it with my business and really loving life to suddenly just being a know i couldn't do anything essentially apart from you know being taken care of i had I, you know my whole life from 14 onwards had kind of put on the hat of you know the alpha male of the house and mm. and then some, suddenly i have to be you know a bed bedridden yeah i had felt shit and felt horrible oh dude 100 percent. and you're not only going through the physical frustration of not being able to get up and glass get a glass of water or a shower properly or go to the toilet or whatever else um but then as you say the emasculation 
the reliance on other people. You'd obviously built a strong sense of independence throughout your life as a coping mechanism that then got stripped for you. So you're raw to the bone at this point, no pun intended. And then you got a diagnosis of cancer of the throat. The C word. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So um, smashed my recovery as fast as I could, got this spinal fusion. That was a horrible experience. I'll tell you, because I've been on pain medication, like pretty much that whole six months leading up to it. I woke up from this spinal fusion and my neck was just like chunked back. And um, so I've, I've avoided your question, but I feel like it's an important part of, um, of the whole bit. Um, I basically like at one, at one point, like I was just getting pumped with morphine and I could still just feel everything. You know, they slice the back of your neck open, open it up and play around with the bones and screw things together. Like it, and I could feel all of it because I'd become so, um, you know, used to the feeling of painkillers, like they, I used to have to take quite a lot to, for mm. them to do anything. So yeah. Anyway, fast forward. Um, it was only I think three or four months in the new neck brace, which was much more chilled. It was just a piece of foam. Um, I started working out very gently again and doing all my rehab and um, yeah, just as quickly as possible, got back into work uh, at a different gym closer to I had to move back in home with my mum again by this point obviously because I got hit by a car and I couldn't move and um so yeah moved back moved back home and uh yeah got a job at a gym here and you know, I was about three months in I noticed my voice started to get a bit raspy and I had a mate's wedding I had to MC at and um by the time like he asked me two months in advance I was like yeah no worries bro would love to It'd be an honor and then we got to the wedding and I kind of sounded like this and I couldn't really talk at all. It's like super embarrassing. And everyone just thought I'd been having too many big nights and whatever. And it's not true. Like I'm super health conscious and yeah, used to go out a little bit, but anyway, I went to an ENT specialist and yeah, they, um, they were like, Oh, we think it's like a nodule kind of thing. And they did a biopsy and they're like, yeah, no, sorry, mate, you've got cancer. And um, here's the next steps and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, it was pretty, um, yeah, once again, pretty numb at the um, at the news. I had my partner with me at the time, and um, yeah, it's funny. Like looking at psychology, you've got that iceberg, isn't it? You've got the the anger iceberg, which I'm sure heaps of people have heard about, and that's kind of the, ma- the masculine part of me. The top of that iceberg is anger, and I think the top of my partner's iceberg is sadness, and she expresses it through crying and whatever, and vul- being vulnerable and mine's kind of the opposite so yeah mm. I kind of like super put on the brave face again and yeah it um it was good to get a diagnosis and know what was going on and know why my voice was so raspy but obviously it was not good to find out that I had laryngeal cancer and cancer of my voice box um the, which, uh, yeah go on the, I was just gonna say that there's only so much a person can take and by this point I can imagine you, you have to be close to breaking point. Do you remember a moment where you were just like, I'm fucking done? Oh, mate, there was a few moments like that, to be honest. Um, there was a few moments in the, in the neck brace part. And there were definitely a few moments in the um, journey through cancer part. Um, yeah, I've always been the type to be like, you know, you know, the 80-20 diet, like eat, 
really well 80 percent of the time and you know the other 20 just you know enjoy your food do something else like eat something you enjoy and makes you happy mm. i'm kind of like that with my um with my anger and my frustration and my um you know i guess self-pity and and all that sadness and depression and I try and be that, you know, because because I come from that background of being a PT. But you know, sometimes life gets really hard, and you know, you have to allow those emotions through. So, yeah, twenty percent of the time, I allowed myself to feel like shit and feel like, you know, my world was worthless and be super depressed. Um, and uh, yeah, there was definitely quite a few tipping points. There was suicidal thoughts pretty frequently, and. Um, one time in particular was it, it, it was really real. I won't go into too much depth, but you know I was really close to doing it, and um, I didn't. And I'm glad to still be here and talking about it. But um, yeah, there was there was lots of tipping points, mate. It was it was horrible. It was like two years of recovery, you know, like in every day and every moment is a moment in time that you can, you know, you can choose how you feel in every second of every day. So. Mm. You know, you try and remain optimistic, but that kind of wears out once shit news just keeps coming in. Um, Absolutely, and, and yeah. I want to I want to loop back on on that. But just before we kind of get to how you've built this amazing human that you are today, an incredibly incredibly resilient one, um, and just a all round nice bloke, like I can tell that you are just a really good guy. And and after all you've been through, it would be so much easier to be a shit person and be angry at the world but you you obviously we all have our moments but um your aura shines bright and i want to get to the how how you got that because i'm sure everyone's like but how did you how have you got here and stayed positive but just talk me through the last part of of the um the cancer diagnosis so that required surgery yeah so in australia it's pretty awesome um really take care of people with cancer it's it's good um basically found out the ent specialist put me straight she was like okay that's 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 above me you you now go into um oncologist people um there was there's like a once a month meeting at royal north shore hospital which is you know where i'm from and there's a group of i think 26 oncologists all in the room and uh yeah you, mate, it was pretty funny like went in there and you know, there's all these people that were, you know, 60, 70 years old plus, um, and half of them with, you know, limbs missing and couldn't talk properly because they obviously had brain cancer problem problems. And yeah, I felt so out of place, man. It was, it was really scary. And yeah, they, um, they called me in, went in, had the camera down my nose and they, they kind of look at your thing and they all kind of talk between themselves. You leave the room. Um, you wait a few hours and then the main oncologist kind of come, someone, someone picks you essentially, I think, and came in and said, mate, we can either give you radiotherapy or I can surgically operate. If we give you radiotherapy, uh, there's a, here's the long list of side effects that might happen. Like you might lose your teeth, might fall out. You might get big ulcers in your mouth, this and that, this and that. Um, but if we do that, it'll be more gentle on the vocal cord itself. Um, option B is I, I, I operate, essentially get a laser and um, burn it off. Like if you had a skin cancer, they, they don't just gently cut the skin cancer out. They, they take a big scoop, scoop of whatever's underneath out as well to make sure they get everything. Um, 
And uh, yeah, the recovery time was supposed to be quicker with an operation. So, and I was, yeah, I, I just don't really like Western medicine stuff. Um, I've always been pretty healthy. So I mean, yeah, just not, not yeah. The, the idea of my teeth rotting was like, no, um, I don't want that to happen. So mm. I went with the operation and um, yeah, afterwards was told it worked and um, I would go in for monthly checkups and um, at one of the monthly checkups, it was like, oh, come back in two weeks rather than a month. And I was like, oh, that's a bit of an alarm bell. And then I went in the, the two weeks after and he was like, yeah, no, your cancer's grown back. There's um, still a bunch of lumps starting to reform there. So it's time to do radiotherapy, I think, mate. And um, yeah, by that stage, I had, you know, I've got quite a lot of people in my community online and direct, like direct friends that are, um, you know, vegans and plant-based and because that's what I am. And um, yeah, really kind of against um, Western medicine. I actually had a good friend of mine whose father had he passed away in the hospital because of an estate from the doctors and how many drugs they were giving him. And um, so it was really close to his heart to, you know, try and heal without their help and kind of sent me all this information. And I watched this, documentary called the truth about cancer and it's just so i have this doctor up here saying you know i can cut it out or give it radio and that's all that's going to work and then i have this whole whole other world of voices saying you know oh you can do all these other things like take these supplements and do vitamin c infusions and um you know water fasting for an extended time and i just thought you know, like, why not give all that stuff a go before trying radio? Um, because all of it's super good for the body. It's all about detoxing. And so, yeah, I smashed that for like two months, tried, tried to um, just incorporate as much of that as I, as I could. As I could. And um, look, I think it did my body a lot of good. I, I, I lost a heap of kind of fat and I got, yeah, my skin was glowing and I was feeling, feeling quite good. But um, yeah, I went for a checkup again. It was like, Oh, no, I went for two checkups. The first time he's like, oh, it looks like whatever you're doing is kind of working because it doesn't look like it's getting any bigger, mate. And then to so come back in another month. And um, yeah, by that stage, I, you know, maybe hadn't been an, as at, uh, I was I was still doing all the protocols that I was trying to stick to, but mate, it all cost, cost out of your own pocket. Um, I had set up a GoFundMe account on my partner, had set up a GoFundMe account which raised about $10,000, which was amazing. I didn't realize how many people loved and cared for me that much. So like, I found that quite hard to accept, but yeah, put all that money into yeah vitamin C infusions and all these herbs and a water filtering system for the house. And yeah, tried my best essentially. Did, did like a two week juice only and then a two week water only fast, um, you know, as, I stopped going to the gym because I was trying to get my body to go into this restorative state, you know, doing not much essentially for a while. So I kind of like had to let go of that part of me. That's, you know, maybe it's because of my childhood and whatever. I, I've always wanted to, you know, get bigger and stronger and um, yeah, I had to kind of stop doing all that, which was really challenging in itself. And yeah, and then the cancer didn't, the, um, the cancer grew back and, I had to do the radio essentially, and I did the radiotherapy. Um, to those who have had radiotherapy on their neck, I'm sure you can relate, but it's horrible. Um, the target is the larynx, but they end up smashing all of 
that whatever whatever's between there and there just got hit so like all your esophagus and everything just like all the skin from this part of my neck down just like I could touch it and just it would just fall off and then it just be red raw underneath um yes yeah, swallowing anything even water just became horrible um I was like I ended up getting an infection because my obviously immune system was a bit like just battling, trying its best to regenerate cells as, it, as they were getting broken down. And because um, I wasn't eating well, my, yeah, my immune system just shut down. And at one point, I think all my like glands in my throat were like being overactive or something. So I was just this like a Doberman dog, just slobbering and coughing and spluttering and coughing up chunks of skin. And I couldn't drink any water and I was thirsty and I was in pain. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a really uncomfortable for a few months, mate. But um, yeah, uh, a month later, I went back to the oncologist and stuck his camera down my nose and said it looks better and it looks like the cancer's not there. So that's kind of where I'm at now. It's my uh, timeline for everyone. Right. And um, yeah, there's still obviously going back to the oncologist has said previously in, in the past, you know, oh, you're, you're all better now. It's like, well, I've heard that news before and I, it was only two weeks ago. So I, I found out the news that he's like, you, you are in remission. Um, you know, I still have the anxiety um, that, that basically the Western approaches, we'll cut it out. That doesn't work. We'll do radio if that doesn't work we cut the whole voice box out and you have what's called a tracheostomy. I'm sure people have all seen the people that have a hole in their throat and speak like that. So um, yeah, that, that was ultimately has been, you know, that was told to me from the, from the very start a year ago, that that's, you know, that's, that's the worst result possible. Um, they said, you know, it's, you, you, it's, it's pretty sweet. Like your cancer's not, it's, it doesn't look like it's the type of cancer that's going to spread to the rest of your body. Um yeah, worst case scenario, we cut your voice box out. And that's what I was, you know, trying my best to avoid. And, you know, I still live with that fear knowing that, you know, one day I might go in for this checkup because I'll, I'll still have to go in once a month or whatever that, you know, it's going back and they, they, they can't give you radio in the same spot twice. Um, so ne next step would, would, would be a tracheostomy. Yeah. But hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> being optimistic that, that that never happens because absolutely fuck that. I'm 28 years old and don't want to hold in my chest to breathe and talk through. I want my voice and I want, yeah, this version of me. I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm scared of that being my future. Um, and I, I can talk about ways that I've kind of learned to cope with the idea of that being a reality. Um, there were some online communities on Facebook I joined that people who have had the operation, most, most of the people in the groups are quite old, but yeah, the more I kind of dove into it, I've seen now a couple of younger patients and people who've, you know, they've had the, they've had it done, but they can still, they can still talk. They sound odd, but you know, you can understand them. And um, yeah, so, so I kind of accepted it to a point, but yeah, it's still scary, mate. Yeah. Wow. What a story, Jake. I, um, <laughs> I'm so, so incredibly grateful that you've shared all that with us and, um, my heart just pours out to you in, in empathy, um, and love. And it has been 
a tough road, but you're a fucking tough kid and you, you got this, you do got this. And, and I want to ask like, um, through all of this, you still stand here. You still, uh, are so proactive and committed to healing. Um, you've got so much spirit in you. What, what would be in your darkest hours one thing that has got you through or i can give you three if if there's more (laughs) yeah probably need more than one um definitely knowing that i have people in my world that i would let down if i was to um not stand up and just keep moving forward it's not only you know you know suicide is uh it's not it's not a fair option you know it doesn't solve any problems it just changes that to somewhere else um you know so no yeah no knowing the amount of people that love and care for me you know that's probably that was probably the biggest thing that stopped me um doing that um seeking help from a professional to help me kind of um learn to look at my thoughts subjectively and not and kind of rationalize things um you know learn how to cope um i i cope well with space um I think I need kind of I've I've got a lot of people around like I've I've got my mom and my partner and a lot of friends and stuff stuff like in my in my world constantly um, and I can't process emotions with anyone else around I really need that alone time um, so learning to kind of step back and go oh you know I'm I'm feeling really anxious or whatever I need I need to go for a walk and you're not invited kind of thing. Um, Mm. that that was that's always helpful time in nature um yeah i I did stop doing physical exercise for you know strenuous exercise for well obviously while my neck was broken and everything i didn't do bugger all um but um yeah getting back into the gym even though i had a lot of discomfort and whatever like at one point like while i couldn't even drink water but i was you know still going to the gym and deadlifting and squatting and you know i just bring a bunch of i found, I found chewy on ice helped keep me hydrated so i just kind of rolled around the gym chewing on ice and you know drooling into the into the bins and uh mate it was is i don't know affirmations they help you know, you know putting on putting on something really positive and listening to um, someone guide you through to become a bit more calm, put on some noise cancelling headphones like I've got on now and just, yeah, really sink into that. Um, distracting myself with a podcast to do with psychology or mental health or physical health. And yeah, I don't know, man, it's, it is what it is. You just, you choose to, choose to have your, your pity time and then choose to have your proactive time and, I have had, um, I've been studying my diploma in remedial massage. So 
you know, that's that's been awesome and distracting and I'm going to end up the other side of all this with, with a new career, um, which is going to be way more suited to me than personal training because my voice is still going to be wrecked for a while and, you know, running the PT business is it's very challenging. Um, all PTs out there know how hard it is, especially with COVID now, just there's not many people in the gyms. And, um, yeah, so um, the accident wasn't my fault. So I know that I've got, financial um stuff coming my way which will help you know like i've so, some of my top priorities and goals like i'm you know i'm moving in those directions already so as long as i just keep you know taking baby steps forward um i'll be okay um yeah i guess the the, the, the biggest thing was probably you know admitting that i wasn't feeling the best to my doctor and um you know getting medicated for it and um that's helped that's helped me a lot with coping that's been you know it is a band-aid for my for my emotional wounds um but you know band-aids were invented for a reason they help s stuff coming in infecting your wound more you know so absolutely i've, I've got i've got i've got my band-aid on at the moment and um yeah i'll take it off one day and get off get off my get off my antidepressants when i'm ready but for now there um you know I, I, once again i've got this community of people that you know maybe don't agree with taking them and you know i, I don't care like it's it's helped me um hmm. stop having like so many negative thoughts and uh yeah that's that's probably all i have to say for that question yeah i i do believe that the worst is behind you um and that you can absolutely achieve everything you want and live the life that you want from now i like very much that you know that that taking your life isn't the option ever um and just as a friend now, um, I want to hear if you're comfortable out, out loud, you promising me that if that, that you will stay safe and that if you ever thought about anything else, um, otherwise that you would contact someone that you loved, but I, I need to hear from you out loud that you promise to stay safe. I promise to stay safe, Mitch. Awesome you have come so far you've broken the back <laughs> of of the suffering and i think this is stripping you know us down into the most raw form even when we think we can't get any more raw it somehow keeps stripping but eventually the the layers of healing start to envelop and take over and you are well and truly on that path and um, keep, keep going. And yeah. as you saw in your own mindset, the presence and acceptance are superpowers. You know, yeah. when, when, when we think even three days out, let alone three years out or 30 years out, it's too overwhelming. It's like, how do I show up well for today? And when I'm tired, I learn to rest, not quit. Yeah, 100%. One, one, one thing that that reminds me of is, you know, I've, I've kind of been in this constant state of, you know, worrying about like, you know, making 
getting through the day and you know I've always been so goal driven like my whole life like what am I doing over the next few years like I've always had you know these are my goals for this year five years time blah 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 um and yeah for like two years that's just been like no you just got to literally try and get through today without you know you, you try and get your pain medication right try and you know just literally get enough movement done and um and I think yeah deep, deep down I was like yeah just started to kind of really resent that and um mm. I think understanding that that's normal it's okay like and it is it's stupid almost to try and set long-term goals when you're currently going through trauma um you know that that dust needs to settle before you can you know see what you're looking at for your future um mm. like if you if uh, once again psychologist example she's she's awesome by the way um can't thank her enough but um, shout out to her shout out to her she um she gave me this one that was so you're a very successful businessman and you're you know just been on holidays in bali and then you're you you're quickly rushing back because you've got a really important meeting and you're planning to um get your notes ready on the plane and get set up for that meeting but unfortunately you caught barley belly and um you know essentially just shitting your pants pretty much non-stop <laughs> you're going to have a really rough time getting prepared for that interview on that plane. You're going to be just worrying about not getting poo over your seat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I've basically been in that position of shitting myself metaphorically for quite a long time now. And yeah, it feels, it feels really refreshing to be kind of over it, but it's also like very, it's still all there, you know, like, and I still have so much healing to do and so much to work through um you know I, I want to jump into some breath work stuff that i've seen online and yeah just all these amazing other healing opportunities but yeah right right now it's just been it's been two only two weeks ago since i found out you know so yeah long long road of recovery ahead of me still but um like you said i, I feel like i'm on the right path and yeah man and a long road done like take stock of of what's been done like yeah sure there's there is stuff to come, but like, you know, look back and see the driveway that the kilometers of driveway that you've already climbed. And man, yeah. we are fucking behind you. Like Thank I got your back. Our community has your back. Like you have everyone at your side walking this journey with you. Yeah. Cheers, man. I appreciate that. Even though this is like virtual, I've never really met you. Um, uh, I, I find that virtual support real. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of junk online and there's a lot of good people trying to, trying to do good. But I, I always found because maybe the, some of the hardest stuff to talk about isn't the, the closest people to you, like your partner or your parents, maybe they're not the best people to talk about certain yeah. things with. Um, and I found, yeah, opening, opening up online kind of, it feels really good. Um, I've always been told by family members and friends that, you know, I've been an inspiration to them or whatever, and I'm super motivating. And, you know, I can't believe you're going to the gym right now. Like you're in a neck brace. What's fucking wrong with you? Like, <laughs> I'm like, mate, it's just like what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I've, I've kind of always online had that like brave face thing. And um yeah, it was, it was the reason I guess we're talking is because it's, it's kind of like what you did when you, you recorded your thing. Um, 
I kind of put up a post about how I was really feeling and um, yes, yeah, just went viral and um, yeah. yeah, had had all these, like, you know, I, my Instagram was always just the same thousand or 2000 people. And it just, you know, you start getting these, I, I opened up about, you know, my, my thoughts on suicide and that was a small part of just this big post I did on like, you know, just pressing on and, um, yeah, just got shared everywhere. And, um, yeah, I had all kinds of messages from people like, it actually got a bit out of hand, you know, I have people reaching out to me like, Oh, my, my, um, family member is suffered stage four cancer doing this. What should I do? Or, mm. you know, my, my brother's suicidal. Like, what do I, what do I do? I'm like, mate, I'm just telling my story. I'm not like, yeah. I'm not in a position to give any advice. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but, um, yeah. So it's been yeah, wild. But I enjoy the space. You know, it's good. I, I really like just telling the story, and then if it helps make you look at your own life, like, oh heck, if you can go through that and still be positive, then you know, maybe I can get through my own shit as well. Amen. Uh, and we, we find that all the time with heart on my sleeve and we help people share stories is sometimes it can be really confronting afterwards because a lot of people feel this responsibility to then be there for everyone else. And we help to coach people through letting go of that responsibility because otherwise, you know, you might end up getting set back in the process. You've yeah. already done, you've already offered value, which is you've given your vulnerability for the service of others. It's now not your responsibility to try and attend to every single person and be their private counselor. It's yeah. supposed to inspire and motivate them. The story is the product. That's the gift that you've given. You don't have to keep giving if it's going to take and take and take. Now, if, if, if you do have the capacity and it fills your cup to be there for other people, that's a different story. And then we, we, we do that when we can, but yeah. otherwise you're doing more than enough to use your, to wear your heart on your sleeve and be real. And yeah, I'm yeah. really glad that you are. Yeah. Thank you. It is, it is. Yeah. Some, some, sometimes like a message will come through and I'll read through and go, fuck, like I definitely have some information that will be totally valuable to you and I pass it on and I do my best to try and help. It's part of my nature, you know, as, as I was, you know, I PT for like three, four years, like it's just in my nature and it's part of my kind of know, mission statement deep down in my head. I'm trying to work out exactly what that is now, but yeah, to motivate and inspire and help others where I can. And yeah, the, um, yeah, the responsibility part of taking on other people's stuff on top of my own is yeah, it's a blessing and it's nice, but it's also yeah, quite confronting sometimes. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for those words. Cause that was super important, man. Super really, important. Really true. Um, you gotta fill, and... your own, fill, fill your own cup as they say first. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't give from an empty cup. Um, no. but yeah, I'll, I'll flick you, um, my mobile number after this and we'll, hang out for coffee and and all that stuff and i'm happy to talk you through any any of those learnings now that you're going more and more into this space and this process amazing mate thank you for sure that'd be, so that'd be cool. we um i want to talk to you for another 25,000 uh, days uh, we, which we can do <laughs> and, and get to but for the sake of the pod yeah. um we're gonna finish off with what we call our fast five um so five questions. Uh, so question one, if you could leave the listeners with one piece of advice or one thing you've uh, learned, uh, what would it be? Ooh, 
uh, I think I did kind of touch on this already with previously in the conversation, um, just about allowing yourself when you do feel like shit to feel like shit, you know, it's okay. Let, let it sit with you, sit with that pain. Like it's, it's there for a reason. Um, you know, let, if it comes up as anger, like, cool, let your anger out. Like I, I find like if I bottle it up, that's when I, that's when I explode, Slow. you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's when I have the, those, those really, really bad days is when I've been bottling up how I feel for too long. Um, so allowing yourself that kind of time in the pit, I call it, you know, I think, I think there's a, I saw a demonstration on it once there's like the emotional pit and you can kind of sit down in the bottom of it. And we set it up with video games and whatever makes it comfortable. And we sit out in our, in our little depression pit and we don't really get out of it. Um, and that's no good to sit there forever, but you know, it can be a good place to think and process to and visit. whatever to visit. And um, I think, yeah, be accepting of your emotions, sit with them, process them, and put a timer on them so that you don't sit in there for too long and then get the hell out of there and on with your life. Great advice. Amazing. Uh, number two, if you could be any animal, what would you be? Uh, um, I have always had a funny thing for birds, actually. So I'm going to go with like some kind of bird. They, um, they're just super intelligent and super pretty and super social. And I just think they're really cool. I, yeah. and, they can, and they can fly. So that's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. That mansion just being like, screw this, I'm out. And just flying yeah. you know, across the sky. See you later. If I could pick another dog, if, if, if I could pick another animal, though, it'd probably be my pet because he just gets constant love and affection from me. And Yeah, you just got a new Frenchie, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I did, mate. His name's Romeo. He's the cutest little dude. Romeo, what a lead. Shout out to Romeo. Yeah, my little companion. He's the man. <laughs> um, awesome. So question three, if you could write yourself a permission slip for something, what would it say? So your old self, if you were to write yourself a letter and say, I give you permission to, what would it be? To succeed. I give myself permission to succeed or feel successful. I think um, my whole life has been a chasing the tail of happiness and success. Um, so yeah, let's put those two words together, happiness and successfulness and uh, successfulness. That's not a word, is it? <laughs> Could be. It is now. <laughs> let's make it up. Successfulness, happiness and successfulness. I give myself permission to succeed because I think, yeah, subconsciously maybe been pretty scared of success and, you know, mm. and um, happiness and happiness. Yeah. I don't, maybe feeling undeserving of it or whatever. Mm. Not, not coming from a background with lots of money and, you know, having, you know, everything that's happened. Yeah. I kind of feel like the world's against me kind of thing, but it's not, you know, so yeah, Man, that's, what, that, that's, that, that's my permission to sleep right there. That's a powerhouse under there. That is an absolute powerhouse. And something I want to talk to you more about is those belief systems um, and, and how manifestation or subconscious holding onto those belief systems um, can, can either free us from suffering or cause suffering. But if I can, if I can uh, uh, politely add one word into your permission slip that it feels really... Um, important and relevant to me is that 
Jake gives himself permission um, to be successful and happy, dot, 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 what's two words, with ease. Because I feel like that's really, um, for you, yeah. Yeah, it's well, not yeah. only being allowed to be successful and happy, but it's, it's hey, even though I've had moments of that, it seems that I need to, <clears throat> excuse me, fight hard all the time. I'm actually okay, open and willing to let this in and it'd be really fucking easy. Mm. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Remember, I've always, I've always, yeah, grinded, I guess is the word, get on the grind and work my ass off. And yeah, things don't come easy in this world, but maybe they do. Maybe they can and maybe yeah, they, they do. And, and that's the word that I want us. Uh, to really focus on in, in your permission slip and in your belief system is with ease. This, this is possible and this is my reality with ease. I might, I might type that up and stick it on my wall somewhere. Do it, brother. Do it. <laughs> send me a photo when it's done. Accountability. I love it. Put it on your wall. Send me a photo and um, we're going to be in it together. Yeah, so, um, all right, number four, what's something you have spent less than $50 on recently that has improved your mental health? gym membership yeah yeah that weekly gym membership is like 10 bucks and um i heard osha mentioning some stuff on your other podcast about you know there being no better drug on this world than you know physical exercise going for a walk and stuff is all good and you can do that for free but yeah getting stronger i think yeah is a is a whole new world for um yeah, just releasing all those good endorphins and making yeah. you feel feel good, man. Um, yeah, I, I I never don't feel happy after I walk out of the gym. Never, not 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 like once can I be like in a shit mood after a decent workout. It's yeah. just literally impossible. So, and then the rest of your day is literally good. Like I I train six days a week. Um, I train quite hard. Um, and yeah, if I if if I miss one, I feel like shit and yeah and i feel amazing for it so that's that's that body movement body, body movement uh, <laughs> and uh, well that's a great segue to to number five what yeah. uh, is a song that means a lot to you and why and we'll add it to our heart on my sleeve playlist for people to listen to oh wow um There's two things that come to mind. Can I say two, and you guys can? Uh, well, absolutely. I'll say, I'll say, two, I'll say two. There's um, there's a bloke online who I recently connected with. His um, name is Lucas Mack, um, and uh, yeah, he's he's fucking awesome man. He um, he does all this breathwork stuff, and um, is all about healing through through trauma and and whatever. And yeah, I I thought that was all he did, and then he was like, oh, I'm releasing my new song. Um, it's called blessed and I was like oh great like well go check it out and I, I checked it out and I realized he had about six other songs on his playlist and I listened to them and they were all all of them are mind-blowing and really cool so my favorite one is called I am enough um so I'm going to say that I'm enough and what's the artist name again Lucas Mack I am enough Lucas Mack. shout out to you my bro if you ever listen to this podcast you you're probably a big part of why I you know, opened up and he, he, he kind of, I, I was blessed enough to kind of have a few back and forth conversations with him. And he was like, bro, own, own I've been really um, self-conscious of my, my voice is never this raspy. And, you know, I used to have quite a, quite a 
good speaking voice. It's it's getting better, but um, there's been huge improvements over the last month or so. Um, but yeah, for like the last year, I've really struggled to talk, um, and I've kind of yeah haven't talked. I've typed and written captions, but I haven't talked. And it's like, mate, get your voice out there. So Fuck big yeah. shout out to him. Um, and the other thing that pops into mind is um, uh, Lincoln Park, bro. I was a 90s kid and, um, you know, dealing with lots of heavy shit in my life. So naturally, I just loved Lincoln Park. Um, and that song, Crawling, is probably my favourite. And, um, yeah, Chester, the lead singer, I think it was a couple of years ago, um committed suicide and um that really hit home for me because I it was like such like obviously kind of with without having a dad and stuff like he he I really looked up to him and his success and yeah to, to know that someone like that can have such intense mental health issues to take their own life was yeah it's just yeah and now, now when I listen to those those songs it, it, it supercharges me you know and I um Mm. I, I feel a lot for him and um yeah it, it just yeah it gets gets me a bit emotional and all his songs were a full-on cry for help and i guess yeah mm. he, he, he never spoke up outside of his songs and he did that so yeah, yeah crawling by lincoln park and i am enough by lucas mack i'm going to give you two bangers for yeah. playlist. love that bro really really special thank you um and what what a chat, uh, mate. Where can where can people keep in contact with you? What's your Instagram handle, etc. Um, yeah, I don't really use any other platforms apart from my Instagram, um, which I'm lucky enough to have as just my name. It's just literally at Jake O'Brien, J A K E O B R I E N. Um, I'm there. Um, would love everyone to come and connect with me. And if you've got something you want to reach out and say, and um, definitely going to read it i'm not like some busy dude that you know doesn't 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 check in with people that have spoken um you know reached out to me um you, you know and, and and if it when, when and if i can I, I, I will respond and yeah um that's that's where you can find me at, at jake o'brien on instagram love your work brother well um looking forward to walking this journey with you and very grateful for your time Thank you, mate. I'm really, really, really honoured to be on this show. I know that you, you know, have some pretty big names on here and, you know, I don't feel like a nobody, but I certainly don't feel like a huge public figure. And yeah, to, to be invited feels really special. So I, I appreciate it beyond, beyond words. Mate, you're definitely, definitely a someone, a special someone. And, and we're, we're just as honoured to have you on. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll be with you every step of the way. All right, huge shout out to all your listeners that have um, stuck stuck with the conversation this far. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Trust me, they're getting they're getting more out of it than you. Yeah. <laughs>